The talk has two titles. Uh, use whichever one you think you like better. Title one is Cheating the Death Ray of Bathos. Uh, Regimes of Truth in an Anthropology of Hypocrisy. Or, if you don't like that one, uh, Don't Throw the Baby Out with the Bathos. Regimes, I think the second one works. Uh, Don't Throw the Baby Out with the Bathos. Regimes of Truth in an Anthropology of Hypocrisy. Let's start. Skepticism. An attitude of doubt or a disposition to incredulity, either in general or toward a particular object of knowledge. End quote. Martin's, Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Quote, postmodernism is incredulity towards all meta-narratives. Of course, that's the famous phrase in Leotard's, the postmodern condition. If ours is an epoch of postmodernism, and if, as Leotard says, Postmodernists are incredulous towards all meta narratives, big knowledges of all sh- or sorts, then ours is an era of skepticism, big time. Unfortunately, a scary problem faces skeptics that can be called epistemic bathos. Bathos is the taking of something important and making it unimportant. Epistemic bathos excuse me, is the taking of some area of knowledge that is important to people and talking rubbish about it because one is skeptical of knowing much about it. Any bathos is an epistemic death ray. However, not all skepticisms are identical. Let's contemplate two grand varieties. On the one hand, there is essentialist skepticism, the view that practices of knowing, which make conclusions concerning knowledge of the world, are flawed. Essentialist skeptics believe because all epistemic, excuse me, all epistemic practices are flawed, all knowledges are essentially uncertain. Then so be it, end of story, and by the way, all truths are treated with incredulity. On the other hand, there is an approximating skepticism, the view that epistemic practice is not perfect, uh, which make conclusions concerning the knowledge of the world uncertain. Nevertheless, these skeptics additionally believe there are practices of knowing that, if applied, can lead one to know things better, only better. They further believe if these practices have been applied it is the case that this knowledge is approximately truer than knowledge not produced using such techniques. Consequently, they rigorously apply different existing epistemic practices and seek more robust ones to reduce the uncertainty of knowledge. Essentialist skeptics are indisposed to application of different ways of knowing, And so they pirouette about, at least in my judgment, seeking to avoid the death ray of epistemic bathos. My concern is that anthropology is an intellectual project courting the death ray of epistemic bathos because a number of its practitioners are essentialist skeptics, untrained to formulate more rigorous ways of knowing, 
uninterested in developing more rigorous ways of knowing and consequently producing treatises of uncertainty and vagueness about which few others than the practitioner's close friends give a damn. This talk, I'm sorry, uh, I'll leave now if you want. This talk is a modest attempt to explore an alternative to essentialist skepticism. Specifically, it explores Foucault's notion of regimes of truth, showing that it emanates an epistemic bathos, and then proposing an anthropology of hypocrisy, a form of approximating skepticism, to make the analysis of regimes of truth more useful. Argument proceeds by first exploring Foucault's understanding of regimes of truth, suggesting that a notion of approximate truth is absent from it. Next, it considers the work of three ethnographers who integrate different aspects of the liberal regimes of liberal regimes of truth, helping to pinpoint frailties with Foucault's uh, general idea of regimes of truth. Finally, it suggests how an anthropology of, anthropology of hypocrisy might make Foucault's notion more epistemically robust. Foucault. The concept of regimes of truth was proposed relatively late in Foucault's career in the 1977 interview entitled Truth and Power, where he insisted, quote, each society has its regime of truth, its general politics of truth, that is, the type of discourse which it accepts and makes function as true, end quote. A bit further, he specified, quote, Truth is understood as a system of ordered procedures for the production, regulation, distribution, circulation, and operation of statements. Truth is linked in a circular fashion with systems of power which produce and sustain it, and to the effects of power which it induces and which extend it. So understood, a regime of truth has two components. It is First, excuse me. First, it is discourse or statements that are not necessarily true, but which are made to function as such. Second, it is procedures, part and parcel of systems of power that make these statements and move them to people. This means that investigation of, re of regimes of truth includes two phases. A first one, where the regimes of truths Asserted truths are identified, and a second one that re reveals how the procedures that operate in the regimes of truth produce and, and distribute the asserted truths. Notice Foucault puts truth in quotation marks, presumably because they are merely asserted truths. Let me introduce a notion of truth that I find useful at this point. The sort of truth I am interested in is not 19th century positivist absolute truth, but the approximative truths favored by certain post-positivist epistemologists. Empirical statements are approximately true if subsequent to observation of reality they can, they can be shown to reliably and accurately represent that reality even though the exact truth of it, the reality, remains unknown. Critically, approximate truths are constructed following application 
of particular epistemic of a particular epistemic practice, that of repeated observation. Observation of some reality is made. It is given representation. Repeated observation of the same reality is made to discover if each time the reality is observed, it corresponds to the original representation. The more observation of reality produces the same representation of it, the more robust the knowledge of it is, the approximately truer it is. Approximate truths are non-essentialist ones in the sense they are not attempts to know the underlying truth of some actuality. Further, approximate truths are partial. This is because observations to establish the truth value of statements are never of all the actualities these statements are supposed to represent. Consider, for example, the statement, quote, democracies do not make war against other democracies. This truth value, the truth value of this generalization, favored in liberal theory, rests largely upon observations made of 19th and 20th century conflicts. But there have been democracies in other unobserved places and times. So the statement can only be said to be partially true. Now, Foucault is uninterested in the approximate truth of statements when inve investigating uh, regimes of truth. Some explain this as due to the fact that his entire project is, quote, anarchism, nihilism, unquote. This is a gentleman named Walzer. My reading of Foucault is, is more nuanced, and it is that truth was an unfinished business with him. There never was a time in his text when he formulated formally and explicitly his position on the topic. However, he is unequivocal uh, in an indifference to approximate truth, stating, quote, Now I believe that the problem does not consist in drawing the line between that in a discourse which falls under the category of truth or that which comes under some other category but in seeing historically how effects of truth are produced within discourses which in themselves are neither true or false, end quote. Dreyfus and Rabinow characterize his thought more generally as, quote, remaining neutral with respect to the very notion of truth, end quote. Indifferent to applying any epistemic practice to deciding whether asserted truths are approximate ones, I see Foucault as an essentialist skeptic, at least with regard to regimes of truth. This can lead to epistemic bathos. Let me explain why this is the case using examples from three different uh, areas of the world in which epistemic practice is used to judge if asserted truths are approximate ones. Liberal truths, concentration camps, aboriginal pathologies, and Chavez's revolution. Nenny Panurgia, Diane Austin Bruce, and Naomi Schiller, who is my daughter, uh, invest uh, investigate uh, different manifestations of a common liberal regime of truth. Liberalism might be understood as a set of views about how to organize social formations and as such possesses a particular regime of truth. 
where the procedures are those of institutions of the state, media, and private enterprise, producing, regulating, distributing, and operating different statements, whose asserted truth is that freedom, private property, capitalism, and democracy are the desired social arrangements in modernity or post-modernity. So understood, neoliberalism is the ideological iteration in postmodern times of an underlying liberal narrative uh, whose excuse me, regimes of truth legitimate the asserted truths of a free and capitalist democracy. In different ways, the work of Panurgia, Austin Bruce, and Schiller highlights the untruths of the asserted truth of this regime of truth. Let us begin by examining Panurgia's contribution. Panurgia analyzes U.S.-Greek relations between 1945 and 1974, and U.S.-Iraq relations uh, since 1990, showing similarities between the two. I shall concentrate upon her analysis of Greek-slash-U.S. relations. Specifically, she notes U.S. policy and practice towards Greek during this time, operating principally through the Truman Doctrine and the Marshall Plan, was supposed to bring capitalism and democracy to Greece, as well as the rest of of non-communist Europe. Indeed, there were many Cold War narratives that assert uh, that this truly happened. Panurgia tells a very different story, at least with regard to democracy. Greece, she tells readers, was allotted $3.4 billion in Marshall Plan, Plan funds, out of which $1.2 billion went to economic aid, with, quote, the rest used for military aid and defense support, end quote. Where did this military money go? At least some of it went, quote, to the construction of concentration camps, to military tribunals, to election fraud. Between 1947 and 53, and then between 1958 and 63, more than 100,000 people, leftists, communists, Marxists, fellow travelers, and even people merely trying, uh, merely being suspected of being sympathizers, were sent to these concentration camps where they were tortured and many killed. What sort of political regime was established in Greeks with uh, American assistance? Panurgia reports that, quote, with the end of the war, (coughs) first British and then American involvement and intervention was on eternal affairs and specifically on the destruction of the left. The OSS first and the CIA later set up not only Operation Gladio, but a number of covert operations that created in the country an environment of intense fear resulting from the systematic exile, torture, disappearance, and assassination of members of the left, culminating in the sustained support of the junta of colonels between 1967 and 1974. The truth of American, excuse me, the approximate truth, uh, excuse me, let me try that again. The asserted truth of American assistance to Greece in the post-war years <coughs> was of a liberal triumph of democracy, when in fact, the approximate truth was something else. 
concentration camps, and the despotism of the colonels. Consider next Austin Bruce's contribution. Austin Bruce discusses 21st century Aboriginal politics in Australia. Specifically, she analyzes a neoliberal discourse. Specifically, she analyzes a neoliberal discourse <coughs> concerning uh, indigenous people. This, she reports, is produced by, quote, writers based in private think tanks and in the Murdoch press, end quote. The Murdoch press and its allies talk the talk of neoliberalism. Their discourse is replete with statements that Aborigines live, and this is the key part, autonomous lives in isolated homelands, independent from Western, i.e. capitalist influence. In this discourse, they are the last remnant of the savage. But these savages are not Rousseauian. They are full-blown Hobbesians. This is the way they're portrayed in the press. Portrayed, quote, in portraits of pathology that detail violence against women, extremes of alcohol dependence, very high rates of illiteracy and unemployment, end quote, quote with just a titulating hint of child sexual, of, quote, child sexual abuse, unquote. The explicit spoken, asserted truth of this neoliberal discourse is contained in one statement. Australian savages live lives of disorder. That's a quote from, the press, from the, the press there. The implicit, unspoken, asserted truth is things would go better for these plastered, wife-beating kid fuckers if they sipped nice cups of tea while ingesting massive doses of capitalism. Austin Bruce, to the contrary, reports that indigenous groups, quote, have been incorporated to the cash and commodity world, end quote, with the collusion of the Australian state. Incorporation, she shows, involved a long process of, of quote, marginalization. Truthfully speaking, as opposed, excuse me, approximately truthfully speaking, as opposed to neoliberal asserted truthfully speaking, the lives of indigenous Australians are nasty, brutish, and short. Not because they've been excluded from the liberal world, <coughs> but because they were incorporated into it, and when they were, they became caught by the political economy of the Australian state and global capitalism in a downward spiral of marginalization. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's turn to Schiller's contribution and to liberalism in Venezuela. Venezuela under Hugo Chavez is a country where competing narrow narratives are, with dueling uh, regimes of truth are struggling with each other as a part of, of a conflict uh, for control over the state. On one side is Chavez and his followers, champions of 21st century socialism. On the other side are the president's domestic opposition, middle class and elite Venezuelans plus their media allies. Additionally, there are imperialista Yankees, sections of the U.S. government, some U.S. NGOs, and parts of the U.S. intelligentsia and media whose ideological talk is neoliberalism. 
These liberal critics are blistering in their attacks on Chavez. Condoleezza Rice, Bush II Secretary of State, complained <coughs> that uh, Chavez ruled in, quote, an Ill- illiberal way, end quote. While Hillary Clinton, the next replacement, uh, explained that this was because, among other reasons, he did not, quote, govern democratically, end quote. Consider the actualities of democracy in Chavez's Venezuela. There is universal suffrage, suffrage, well, whatever. Uh, there are elections. Freedom House, a liberal American NGO that evaluates countries on their democratic performance and which has been critical of socialist Venezuela, admits in its 2010 country report that, quote, Voting is relatively free and the count is fair, end quote. Chavez was elected by large majorities in the last three elections, in contrast to the last three U.S. elections, where in one of them, Bush too, <coughs> the winning Republican candidate lost the majority vote but received the presidency due to the votes of five Republican Supreme Court justices. It is correct that term limits have been removed uh, in the office of the presidency, provoking fear that this would allow Chavez to rule as a president for life. Of course, presidential rule uh, prior to Chavez was decided according to a practice called punto figissimo, whereby the two main liberal parties agreed to alternate the presidency. Critically, opposition political parties continue in Venezuela, and these have been enjoying electoral success. <coughs> Excuse me. For example, in quote, in 2000, opposition parties won most governorships, about half the mayoralties, and a significant share of the National Assembly seats. Again, that's Freedom House, suggesting it is not impossible for the opposition to triumph electorally. Liberals assert that civil liberties are required for democracy. Venezuela has a constitution that accords civil liberty. Freedom House warns of their diminution in Venezuela because, quote, politicization of the judicial branch has increased under Chavez, end quote. However, the U.S. Patriot Act, 2001, threatens the civil liberties of North Americans, suggesting weakening civil liberties in the United States. Further, a recent article speaks of the present as, quote, an era of political politicization in the United States, excuse me, an era of judicial politicization in the United States, end quote. Freedom House, on the other hand, positively reports, quote, the formal rights of indigenous people have improved under Chavez, and that with regard to women's right, quote, women enjoy progressive rights enshrined in the 1999 Constitution as well as benefits under a major 2007 law, end quote. Further, according to uh, Freedom House, quote, constitutional guarantees of religious freedom are generally respected, end quote. There has been liberal angst about freedom of the press under Chavez, even though there is a vigorous, well-funded, non-governmental media in Venezuela. Schiller has studied the Venezuelan press. 
specifically, or media, specifically she conducted uh, field work in Katya TV, which is Caracas's largest community television station. Katya TV began as a movie club in the 1990s for poor people in a West Caracas neighborhood. Following Chavez's first election in 1998, the government began investing oil resources into community media projects developed by activists largely supportive of, the eff of efforts to help the poor. Katya TV used these funds to transform itself into a television station that began broadcasting in 2001. The employees of Katcha TV are people from humble origins, trained by the station to be employees and, and managers. Katcha TV is government funded, but then so is the BBC. Schiller's research revealed a broadcast practice at Katcha TV, uh, TV of denuncia making. Denuncias, demands or complaints, are characterized by Schiller as follows. Quote, multiple times a week, visitors from the poor neighborhoods surrounding Katcha TV request help from the television station to publish their denuncias about an act of corruption, corruption wrongdoing uh, or, or wrongdoing, end quote. Katcha TV would make a denuncia by sending out a broadcast team, usually an interviewer and camera person. The interviewee, Making the demand would be interviewed following negotiation with the interviewer over precisely what and how the interviewee should express her or his complaint. The denuncias that the station most often considered were grievances by, the group, by groups of the poor in barrios working in collective projects that were typically organized and paid for by the government. The practice of, quote, Broadcasting but denuncias was critical for Katya TV's ability to fulfill its claim to be partial to the people. Airing denuncias made clear the station's stance as, of, as both of and for the community rather than acting in the interests of the government. <coughs> Excuse me. The proceeding suggests that the Chavez regime has been extending both freedom and democracy, with one institution uh, doing this community television. Production of denuncias by Katcha TV is a practice of expressing press, press freedom. Further, these denuncias extend democracy. Denuncia making takes concerns from the poor, and through negotiation between those making the demands and Katcha TV employees, puts them on the screen for everyone to see and hear, especially officials, hence extending people's concerns into the realm of the government. So the, the development of community television under Chavez seems to be a way of extending de democratic participation to the poor. The liberal asserted truth that Chavez does not govern democratically goes unsupported by the evidence. What are the implications of this finding and that of the other two cases examined in this section for epistemic bathos? We're almost finished. Recall that when applying regimes of truth, there are two phases. A first one, 
when the regimes of truths, asserted truths, are identified, and a second one that reveals how the procedures that operate in the regimes of truth produce and distribute these asserted truths. Recollect additionally that Foucault is neutral with regard to whether the asserted truths are true. Now assertions to the effect that the Marshall Plan and the Truman Doctrine brought democracy to post-war Greece, that indigenous Australians are the way they are because they are isolated from capitalism, and that Chavez crushes democracy are the asserted truths of, a, of liberal regimes of truth. Foucauldian inquiry would be interested in revealing how the various procedures of liberalism produce these truths, but after this, analysis is terminated. And frankly, such an analysis is incomplete. The Marshall Plan and the Truman Doctrine did not bring democracy to Greece. They brought concentration camps and the dictatorships of the colonels. Indigenous Australians are the way they are because they have been incorporated into capitalism. Practices in Chavez, Venezuela, like denuncia-making, extend democracy to previously excluded poor. In the three cases examined by our analysis, the asserted truth is not true. Why would a Foucauldian uh, regimes of truth analysis in the three situations investigated by the ethnographers produce epistemic bathos? Remember, bathos is a descent from something important to something trifling. A Foucauldian analysis of liberal regimes of truth pertaining to post-war Greece, the Australian outback, and Chavez's Venezuela, indifferent to the truth of statements, cannot distinguish between whether liberal statements are approximately true or merely asserted true. Consequently, such statements assert that something is, or maybe it isn't, which is pretty trifling. They provide no warrant for political action because you do not know what is happening. The Foucauldian investigator might conclude that according to the liberal regime of truth, Chavez is bad for democracy, or which may or may not be true. And the problem with such a conclusion is that it contains no reason, warrant, for opposing Chavez. The statement then is inconsequential regarding action on political matters, and it is inconsequentiality that makes it epistemic bathos. The problem with epistemic bathos is it leads to warrantless politics because it provides no information of the approximate truth of political realities and consequently no guidance as to how to act politically. But don't throw the baby out with the epistemic bathos, which is done by initiating an anthropology of hypocrisy. Now we're getting close, uh, or closer. Uh, quote, hypocrisy, a feigning to be what one is not, or to believe what one does not, end quote. Webster Dictionary. An anthropology of hypocrisy is a particular form of epistemic practice of an approximating skepticism, one that consists of two sets of methods. The first of these methods are those where the analyst explores 
different regimes of truth to establish both how it is the procedures and rules of a particular system of power create and distribute asserted truths, and how it is that the procedures and rules themselves are originated. This can be said to be the Foucauldian part of hypocrisy. It's fine. Keep it, as long as you look for the asserted, uh, the approximate truths. It is the analysis of how a regime of truth operates and originates as a system of power. The second set of methods are those which allow the analyst to judge whether the asserted truths of a regime of truth can be judged to be approximately true. With it being understood, the more the uh, asserted truths of a regime of truth are observed to be untrue, the greater the actors in the regime of truth are feigning its asserted truths and consequently are hypocrites. Hypocrites in this optic is, optim- is ultimately a quantitative concept, one that is a ratio. A ratio is a relationship between two numbers of the same kind. The numbers of the same kind here are the truth values of statements in a regime of truth, with there being two sorts of truth values, statements that are are, uh, merely asserted truths and those that are warranted to be approximately true. Specifically, it is the number of statements in a regime of truth known to be untrue compared to those that are known to be true. For example, consider the liberal regime of truth explored by the three ethnographers earlier. Examination of their work suggests that there were three instances of untrue asserted truths and no instances of of true asserted truths. The ratio is, is three approximately untrue statements to no true ones. Liberals might dispute this example as ludicrous, which is fine, as long as the confrontation takes the place takes place within the confines of an anthropology of hypocrisy, seeking appropriate methods for calculating hypocrisy ratios of regimes of truth, because eventually after all the particular statements of a regime of truth are evaluated for their truth values, it will become clear just how hypocritical a regime of truth is, providing warrant for political action with the warrant being get the hypocrites. So let us be clear about what an anthropology of hypocrisy can and cannot do. It cannot provide knowledge of absolute truths. It cannot tell you whether the liberal or any other regime of truth comprehends the essential truths of political life. It can only help you know if what liberals or any other uh, ideology state to be the asserted truth appears upon the evidence to be approximately true. If over time, different regimes of truth purporting to deal with the same actualities were analyzed according to the tenets of an anthropology of hypocrisy, then it might become clear as a result of such confrontations that certain regimes of truth exhibited greater propension to hypocrisy than others. Conclusion. Don Rabotham uh, has observed that, quote, 
The greatest economic crisis since 1929, that's the one we're living through now, has posed a profound challenge to all forms of post-structuralist theory, end quote. I agree and believe that one of these challenges is that post-structuralism and other forms of the postmodern, of postmodern thought exhibit an essentialist skepticism, one that, obsist, uh, that insists upon, uh, in, uh, according to Kalinescu, a, quote, radical, unsurpassable uncertainty, in quote, in which one can with certainty know little. This talk is proposed employing an approximating skepticism as a tool to know something and applied it to addressing the epistemic bathos dogging Foucault's post-structural standpoint on regimes of truth. In the process of doing this, it formulates the very basics of an anthropology of hypocrisy in order to distinguish the approximate truths from the asserted truths in this world. The more general epistemological message here is go ahead, be skeptical, but do so employing an approximating skepticism with its emphasis on the application and innovation of epistemic practice as a sensible way for anthropology, excuse me, let me try that again, this is supposed to be the, um, the, more, <laughs> the more general epistemological message here is go ahead, be skeptical, but do so in, a pro in an approximating skepticism with its emphasis on the application and innovation of epistemic practice as a sensible way for anthropology to cheat the death ray of bathos. Chalas terminé.